0: Well, welcome again, Flourishing Grace. Today is Fifth Sunday, as I said a minute ago. Man, all of our kids are in here. And man, we got a little special treat for our kiddos and actually for everybody in the room because it's his Fifth Sunday in the joy of the Lord. And so, hey, anybody want to want a donut? Like, does anybody feel like a donut? Anybody? Raise their hands. Anybody want a donut? We got donuts for everybody. So, man, come on, bring them in. Bring them in. We got donuts for everybody uh, in the place this morning so you guys can enjoy A donuts while you enjoy the Word of God. Donuts are sweet to our mouth and the Word of God is sweet to our heart. So dig into that. And now we get to listen to you crinkle your paper the whole time I preach. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. All right. Fifth Sunday. We do love Fifth Sunday, friends. And for all of our adults in the room, all of our parents and grandparents who brought your kids this morning, um, I mean, we want Fifth Sunday to be like, a t-ball game for you. Like, I'm the t-ball coach. I'm just going to put the ball on the thing and let the adults in the room swing as hard as you can, all right? So we have we have online, uh, Lindsay has put together a whole host of resources for you. Hopefully you've seen that over the past uh, week in order to prepare you for this morning, and get you ready for it. But this morning we added questions to those resources. And so you can take your kid or your grandkids out to lunch today after this. Um, and, and ask them these questions as they listen into the sermon. Um, and you can ask them these questions afterwards. So you need to go to flourishinggrace.org slash 5th, 5th, flourishinggrace.org slash 5th. And you'll find all of those questions uh, there for you. And all the resources for our next 5th Sunday uh, are there for you as well. And I hear that there's bingo going on this morning. I hear the kids got some bingo cards and... Uh, So if you get bingo, first one to get it, just go ahead and yell that out, and uh, you get a special treat. Is that real? You got a real bingo? Oh, wow. Never mind then. I thought it was for the sermon. Turns out you guys are just listening to everything everybody says this morning. Bingo. All right. Never mind. Bingo's already done. No one's going to listen to anything I say Next. Well, kids, here's the deal. So over the past few weeks, we've been talking about spiritual formation, spiritual formation, um, and this, this idea of being formed into the image of Jesus. And we've said along the way, man, that is, that's kind, of the, that's kind of the main goal of every person who says, man, I'm a Christian. I want to become like Jesus. That's what we want. We want to become more and more and more like Jesus. And how we do that is what we've been talking about over the past Few weeks. God wants to transform you into the image of His Son. It's an amazingly beautiful thing. And so we've talked about how the world around us deforms us. We've talked about how we need to be people who practice counterformation. Through the spiritual disciplines, right? Praying and reading our Bible, by through fasting and Sabbath and silence and solitude, we practice counterformation, right? And then last week we talked about as we as we do these things, the goal of all of these things is intimacy. We want to become develop an intimate relationship with Jesus. And in that, he begins to transform us. And this morning we're gonna talk about kind of the last piece of this: counterformation, right? Where we're sorry. Conformation, conformation, right, where we are actually begin to live out the way of Jesus with our hands and our feet, right? Not just inside transformation, our hearts and our minds, loving what Jesus loved, believing what Jesus believed, thinking the way Jesus thinks, but actually with our hands and our feet, we are, we're conformed into the way of Jesus, Um. In 2017, there was a study done, and what they found in this study is kind of fascinating. They said, man, if you you sit at work, at work, and this is probably true at school too for all my little friends in the room, right? If you sit within 25 feet, of a high performer in your workplace or in your school, which is not very far. It's like from me to like Brett, right? It's like, that's probably like 25 feet or so, right? It's like not even to the back row, right? If you sit within 25 feet of a high performer, your productivity goes up by 15%. Like you're a 15% better worker or better student if you just sit within 25 feet of a high performer. But now here's the flip side. If you sit within 25 feet of a low performer, right? Mr. Lazy Pants, Mr. I'm going to goof off during class, right? If you sit within 25 feet of that person, your productivity goes down by 30%. By 30%, right? You just get distracted and you start goofing off or you start taking naps during the workday, or whatever it is you do. I don't know what it is, right? Your productivity goes down, right? The people around us have a great impact on our lives, But it's even more than that. There's a study called the the Framingham Heart Study. It's one of the longest running health studies ever. Um, And what they have found over time is it's not just the people next to us that affect us, but even the people next to them. And I'm talking about people you've never even met before. What they've found is this. Your friends' friends have a major impact on your life. What they found is that if your friend's friend, you don't you've never met this person, you don't know their name, you don't know anything about them. But if your friend's friend is obese, you are more likely to be obese. If your friend's friend is a chain smoker, you're more likely to smoke. What they found is that, you now we understand that if we have happy friends, we're more likely to be a happy person. That makes sense. But what they found is if your friend's friend is happy, you've never met this person, but they're just a happy person, you are 6% more likely to be happy. Now, you say 6%, that's not a very high percentage. But another study found that that if you gave people a $10,000 raise, a $10,000 raise, on average, their happiness goes up by 2%. By 2%. So your friend's friend, who you have no idea, you've never met them, you don't know their name, is having a greater impact on your life than a $10,000 raise. It's crazy. What is happening? Like, what is going on here? The people around us, those whom we have a relationship with, have an unbelievable impact on our life. Last week, I... I drove home this idea that transformation occurs through intimacy. And this makes complete sense. We know that the people that we surround ourselves with, right, are going to have an effect on the way we think and how we act. If you surround yourself with people who think a certain way, you will begin to think a certain way. But it's not just how we think. It's not just how we feel. It's in the things that we do. It actually transforms our actions. Intimacy always leads to action. That's the first thing I want you to see. That's the big thing I want you to see this morning. Intimacy always leads to action. There is no such thing as intimacy without action. Intimacy transforms our actions. It always leads to action. And as Winston read for us earlier From from 1 John chapter 2. I just want to reread verses 4 through 6 for us, real quick. John says this He says, Whoever says, I know him. Now, when he says, I know him, he doesn't mean intellectually I understand him, like I know who George Washington was. That's not what he means. He means, I know him. I have an intimate relationship. He's my best friend. I know him well. Whoever says, I know him, speaking of Jesus, whoever says, I know Jesus, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Notice how I didn't, Repeat the propitiation part. I don't want to read that. I thought Winston would get that wrong, but I knew I'd get that wrong. How do you know if you are in him? How do you know? How do you know if you are actually abiding? You will walk in the same way in which he walked. That's how we know. Your intimacy will produce an action in your life. This is what we call conformation. Conformation is doing what Jesus did. It's putting into action the actions of Jesus. As, the, as our intimate relationship with Jesus produces transformation, it flows into conformation. We are conformed into the image of Jesus. Early Christians were not called Christians. In the book of Acts, they're not called Christians Um, they're, they're called followers of the way. Followers of the way. Christianity was not known as Christianity. It was known as the way. We see this on repeat throughout Acts. I'll give you just a few verses real quick. Acts 9, verses 1 through 2. This is uh, Saul, right? Later it becomes Paul. As he's hunting down the early Christians, he says this, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to, here it is, capital W, The way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem, right? Any belonging to the way. Now we would say if he found any Christians, but that wasn't the word that they used. In Acts 19.23, About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning, capital W, the way. But Felix, this is Acts twenty-four. Twenty-two, Felix, the governor, who is uh, the one who is responsible for Paul's charge, as Paul now, now Saul's turned to Paul and he is he's going to be put to death, and Felix is the one who gets to decide this. Felix, having a rather acute knowledge of capital W, the way put them off, saying, "When Lysias the tribute comes down, I will decide your case." Early Christians were known as followers of the way. And Christianity was known as the way. These people lived a new lifestyle that was counterformed. It did not look like the rest of the world. They lived a different way. And this way was the way of Jesus. They had adopted the lifestyle of Jesus. Their intimacy with Jesus produced an action that was unlike anything else. Unlike anything the rest of the world had seen, people said their way is different than any other way, and so it was, it was actually dubbed the way. It's the way of Jesus. Their intimacy leads them to action. Now, some of you are saying, "Hang on, hang on, hang whoa, on." Whoa, whoa. Last week, I was here, and you said we must put intimacy before action, like. Intimacy must become greater than action. You said that so many times last week, like. But now you're saying we got to have action, right? There, there's that intimacy is going to lead to action. So, so what is it? Are we supposed to abide with Jesus or do what Jesus did, right? What what, what is it supposed to be? Is it, is it being or is it being or doing? Well, yes, it's all of those things for the early church. Their primary action was abiding. It's just what they did. They loved to be with Jesus. But out of that action came a whole new way of being, a whole new set of actions. Being with Jesus transformed not just their heart or their mind, but it transformed their hands and their feet. Being with Jesus leads to transformation, becoming like Jesus which leads to doing what Jesus did, conformation. When the disciples leave their nets, Jesus says, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, right? They they leave their nets, they leave their, their dad, they leave their family, they leave their business. But are they transformed in that moment? No. Are they conformed in that moment? No. But are they pursuing intimacy in that moment? Yes, and this is, it's the first small act of being with Jesus. Jesus says, come follow me. And they forsake it all. They choose being with Jesus over their career. They choose being with Jesus over their family. They choose being with Jesus over what the world tells them to do. And this is f- a foreign idea, that you would leave all of these things. This is not the way of the world to leave your source of income, to leave the family business, to leave your dad high and dry, to leave your family to go be with Jesus. But ultimately, in that moment, they're not transformed. They're not conformed. It takes years and years of being with Jesus as they're slowly transformed and conformed into His image. They choose to be with Jesus. And after years of following Years of beholding, years of intimacy, leading to an inward transformation. And little by little, they are conformed. When it comes to our spiritual transformation, we must resist the urge for instant gratification. That is the way of the world, but it's not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is the slow process of sanctification. From one degree of glory to another being formed, reformed into his image. This is not an Amazon Prime formation, okay? This is not two day shipping. All right, this is slow, over time, abiding in Christ and becoming transformed. What I want you to see is that transformation comes from an abiding intimacy. That's what we talked about last Sunday. But when we abide in Christ, not only are we transformed inwardly, but we're conformed. Outwardly, For all of my little friends in the room who are scratching their heads and saying, what the heck is this guy talking about? Um, <clears throat> or the adults in the room. <laughs> One of my earliest memories, I've been doing this work recently, trying to think of my earliest memories. One of my earliest memories, um, I, I was born in Charleston, Illinois. And in, in my house, we had a television set that was not like a television set that you guys have today. It was a, it was a box like this. And the way you turned it on is you pulled, you pulled. You had to walk up to it, okay? Like you had to to get out of your seat and walk over to it, and you pulled out the volume knob, and that's how it turned on. And they had like a little dial that clicked, and you had I don't know ten channels or something like that, give or take a couple. Um, And you could turn this little dial, and you could get to your channels that you wanted, and and that was it. There was no no Netflix, and there no Disney Plus, and there was no cartoons except for Saturday morning. Saturday morning, you could watch cartoons, but you had to watch whatever cartoon was on the box. You couldn't just pick whatever cartoon you wanted. There was no smorgasbord. You had to wait for your cartoon to come on. And the cartoons that I always waited for, He-Man, G.I. Joe's, and of course, Transformers. Transformers, right? Right. Transformers had this, like, superpower. They were not like anyone else because inside of this car, even though this car might look just like this car, inside of this car there's a supernatural thing going on, right? There's like an alien living inside of this car. A supernatural thing's going on. And so it has this ability to transform into something other than a car. Everything else in the world looks like a car, but this one has the ability to become something else to become transformed into this man-like machine that is now conformed into these abilities to do other things other than a car can do. It can do more things than a car can do. In the same way, or at least, not in the same way, in, in a similar way, in a similar way, when we become a follower of Jesus, when we give our life to Christ, When we say, Jesus, you are king of all, there's no one like you. You are the only God who has ever been or ever will be, and my life is yours. We leave everything behind and we choose to follow after him. In that moment, my little friends, listen, Jesus' spirit, the spirit of the living God comes to live within us. We have a power within us that the rest of the world does not have. And we have the ability to do things that the rest of the world cannot do. We have this ability, we we are transformed into one who thinks differently than the rest of the world and and, and believes things different than the rest of the world and loves things different than the rest of the world. And as we pursue intimacy with the Spirit of God within us, the Spirit of God begins to conform us into His image. So Jesus' blood on the cross, yes, it pays for our sin, but it also cleanses us of our unrighteousness so that God himself can come live within us. We become the house of God, the temple of God. And God promises us this in Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36, God says this, he says, "I I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I'm gonna put my spirit in you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I'll give you a heart of flesh. I'm gonna transform your heart. I'm gonna transform the, what you love. I'm gonna cause you to love things differently than the world loves them. And I'll put my spirit within you and I will cause you, listen, to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God is going to transform the way you act. He's going to put his spirit within you. He's going to transform the way you act. God wants a supernatural relationship with you in which he leads you into greater and greater depths of flourishing, reforming you into the person that you are meant to be so that you might be, while you look, Like everybody else in the world, you have a supernatural power within you that causes you and empowers you to live differently than the rest of the world lives. You are being reformed into the image of Jesus. So to all my little friends in the room this morning, if you are in Christ, you're basically a transformer. It's pretty cool. Paul says it this way in Romans uh, 8. It won't be up here on the screen, but here's what he says. Romans 8, 29, it says, For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. When you were born, God had a plan for your life, and that was to conform you into the image of Jesus, to make you more like Christ. The saving work of Jesus not only empowers the supernatural transformation in your heart and mind, but it conforms our outward action into the likeness of Jesus. Now, real quick, there are two different types of reactions to this information from mostly from adults. All right. First type is this: the person says, I want that. Yes. Give me that. Transform my heart, transform my mind, and transform my actions. This is the person who who needs a transformation in their life, a person who knows their sin and knows their brokenness. This is the person whose marriage is on the rocks. This is the person who can't stop their addiction. They can't stop the sin in their life. They've tried and they've tried and they've tried under their own power to become a transformer, but they can't become a transformer because they don't have that power. And so they say, man, I want... That give me that. If that's you this morning, man, I, I want to kind of turn your, your mind back to last week. All of this comes through intimacy with Jesus. For so often, for so many of us, we have been fighting to kind of to kind of modify our own behaviors. But behavior modification only leads to exhaustion, frustration, uh, it has, it's all, and then eventually, if you actually nail it, for my Type A friends in the room, it just leads to legalism, in this religion that is empty and void of true transformation. Intimacy must become greater than action. Intimacy must become greater. Than action. And I know that was one of my points from last week, but it's one of my points from this week, man, for those of you who are saying, how do I do this? Intimacy must become greater than action. But it is that intimacy that will produce within you greater actions than you ever thought possible. Intimacy must become greater than action. You must pursue intimacy with Jesus through prayer, through pursuing him through his word, through carving out time in your life to grow into an intimate, flourishing relationship with him. But that intimacy will produce in you a greater action than you ever thought possible. If sitting 25 feet from a high performer at work or in your school, increases your productivity by 15%, how much more will intimacy with the Spirit of the living God within you transform the way that you live your life? If a friend of a friend has an impact on your actions, how much will nearness to the Spirit of the living God transform your actions? Intimacy must become greater than action. But that intimacy is going to produce greater actions than you could ever begin to imagine. All of this comes if we give ourselves over to time with Jesus. Time with Jesus. Behold Him. Be with Him. Give yourself over to time with Jesus. We must cultivate intimacy through time with Him. Time in prayer. Time in seeking Him through His Word. We must carve out Every day, time with Jesus, as much time as you can get with Jesus, the more you are going to become like Jesus. I promise you, if you pursue intimacy, you will experience transformation and conformation. But the second type of person, <coughs> the second type of person who hears this says, Yes transformation. I love transformation. I want to be made happy. I want to be joyful. I want human flourishing. I want all of those things. Confirmation, like you want to change the way I act. You know what I mean? I'm good. Like I'm good. Like my, the way I act is, I'm good. Like I like my job and I, I like my career and I like the way that I live my life. Like I, the, don't ask me to change who I am, but I mean, you can make me happy. I just don't want you to change who I am. What I want you to hear this morning is this. There will be no supernatural formation, no supernatural transformation if you resist spiritual confirmation. You can't have it. It doesn't work. You say, I want... I want supernatural happiness and joy and peace and patience. Give me all that. But don't change the way that I live my life. Just let me be who I am. It does not work. There will be no supernatural transformation if you resist spiritual confirmation. James, again and again and again, famously says, Faith without works is dead. In James two eighteen, he says, But if someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Like, you have your faith. You go to church and you do your thing and you experience all that, right? And I'm gonna actually be the one who does and does things and I'm gonna be the one who works. James says, show me your faith apart from works and I will show you my faith by my works. I will show you what Jesus is doing in me by the action that he is producing outside of me. Faith without works is dead, It's not real. We give ourselves over to all of these things, but we're just withering away because we refuse to to allow Christ to change the way we act. It's like it's like this idea of me saying, Man, I want my spouse to do all these things for me. Do all the things for me that I want you to do, but I am not gonna do anything for you. How do you think it's gonna work? For all my married friends in the room. How would that work out for you? Not, well. Not my wife. Not well. Not well. But as we produce intimacy in our, in our marriages, there's a longing to do for our spouse. To conform our past way of life to a new way of life that serves them out of love that serves them, out of devotion that cares for them, out of devotion. In the same way, as we cultivate intimacy with Jesus, there's a longing to become more like him, to serve him, to transform our actions. And he is the one who does this transformation. Jesus is the one who begins to transform us as we produce an intimate relationship with him, as we seek intimacy. But it's true. It is kind of a scary thing. Because if we're going to become like Jesus, conformation, doing what Jesus did, must involve death. Think about it. And this is why so many people avoid it. So many people don't want it. If we're going to be conformed to the image of Jesus, the one who died to everything, and then died on a cross, We must be ready to die to it all as well. Paul says it this way in Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Just stop there for a second. I've been crucified with Christ. I've put to death everything that I once was. And it's no longer I who live. That person is dead. He's gone. It's over. And it's now Christ who, Who lives in me? I have been so conformed to the image of Jesus that it's only Jesus and no more of who I once was. Paul has died to all of his earthly desires and longings and hopes and dreams. He's put them all to death, he's killed them all. So that Christ might fully live in him. In the life I now live in the flesh, in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Jesus died for me, and now every day I die for him. This is confirmation. In order to be conformed to the image of Jesus, we must become those who die every single day. Later in in chapter 5, Paul says... Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Everything that you have, everything that you long for, your earthly desires, everything that the world tells you, this is what's going to make you happy. This is what's going to fulfill you. All of that must be put to death in order to pursue the one who's going to actually make you happy. You see that when we do die to ourself, There will never be a greater life than the one you find on the other side of that death. When we die to the things that we think are going to give us life, we will find in Christ a greater life than we could have ever, ever imagined. When we are conformed into his image through developing an intimacy with him. And I said earlier, intimacy is found through time, and that means that the things that take our time are gonna have to die. There are things in your life that you're going to have to say no to in order to make time for Jesus. If formation is going to be the chief goal of your life, all of your other goals must serve that greater goal. If intimacy with Jesus is the most important thing in your life, then everything else in your life must serve that greater goal. My career must serve the goal of intimacy with Jesus. My family must serve the goal of intimacy with Jesus. But as you do, the life you find, the joy your family finds, the joy your your employees or coworkers find on the other side of that death will be far greater than any life you could ever imagine on this side of that death. Friends, Jesus has life on offer for you. But that life, Is on the long road of intimacy and nearness, where daily we die to the things of this world and more fully live into the life He lived. Will you give yourself to that journey? Will you give yourself to that journey? The journey of spiritual formation. Will you become more than a Christian? Will you become a follower of the way of Jesus? Will you die to yourself and adopt a whole new lifestyle, the lifestyle of Jesus? Will you begin to live as a follower of the way, saying the way of Jesus is greater than any way of the world? And so I'm going to cultivate an intimacy with him so that he may transform me from the inside and conform me from the outside. This is the greatest goal of the follower of Jesus, to develop such a great intimacy with him that we might be transformed into his image. This is my hope and my prayer for you. Let me pray for you guys. Jesus, we come before you this morning, and I pray that you would create in us a desire for a relationship with you. not just just five minutes a day or 10 minutes a day, but moment by moment we would be practicing the presence that you would increase and heighten our awareness of your constant presence. You are here right now. You are nearer to us than the breath in our lungs. And so, so turn our affections towards you. Increase our awareness of your presence. Call us to intimacy. Call us to nearness and have your way with us. Conform us into your image. Help us to choose death so that we might live. Empower us to be transformed. Fill us with your spirit. Help us to walk in your way. Transform our hands and our feet. Blessing your sweet name. Amen.